Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Hello and welcome to The Bill Walton Show. Uh, the Iron Heel, written in 1908 by Jack London. We, by a brilliant Russian writer, Yurgi Jumachian. Brave New World, Aldous Huxley. 1984, George Orwell. The Hidden Persuaders, written in 1957 by Vance Packard. So what do all these have in common? They have in common a world controlled by elites using technology and every other means at their disposal to make shape how we think, how we live, what we believe, what we feel, and every aspect of our life. The alarming thing that is occurring now is that we're learning, we're seeing what's happening in China. We're looking what's happening here in the United States with, with search engines like Google. And a lot of these fictional works are beginning to spring to life in, in the real world in a real time in 2019. And I think we all need to know a lot more about it. And with me to dig into that is Dr. Robert Epstein, uh, noted professor, noted uh, researcher and uh, prolific author and former editor of uh, uh, Psychology Today, among other things. We'll talk about Reggie Littlejohn, human rights activist in China. Uh, their full bios are on our website and also they're in the, uh, the show that we just finished, uh, part one, and this is now part two, discussing Google and China. We ended up a bit with Google. Reggie, you want to kick off why China could be a uh, uh, predictor of what we may become worldwide? Well, China, as I mentioned in the last show, has this social credit system that is run by, they, 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 they have, as you mentioned, like 500,000 internet police in just in, in Beijing, they, they watch your internet. They've got, they've got um, surveillance cameras that are different from our surveillance cameras in the sense that they are, they have facial recognition which they are perfecting, and that it's it's connected to artificial intelligence that will track you everywhere you go, um, all, all the time, and then they keep track of any crime that you've committed, etc. So this is social engineering um, and and complete social control. But what they also want to do is engineer the soul. So this is even one step beyond that. And so what they're doing in order to engineer the soul is, for example, there's an, um, an, an area in Henan, China, where uh, they are tearing down uh, Ten Commandments in the church, in the churches, and replacing it with Xi Jinping thought. There's another area of China where they've taken down pictures like holy. Xi Jinping is is the premier, the president, president right. for Xi life Jinping, in China, right. who's also signed his signature now is identical to Mao's. Right. Very, yeah. even George Soros has said that what China has implemented is an extreme danger to to human beings and and human autonomy. Now that's a paraphrase, but that's basically what he said. Uh, and so Xi Jinping has basically declared himself king by getting rid of term limits. And uh, there's an area of China uh, in which 
they have taken down holy images like of, of Jesus or Mary or whatever other, or other holy image and replaced it with images of, of uh, Xi Jinping or Chairman Mao, replacing the, the Ten Commandments with Xi Jinping thought, forcing people to uh, read uh, Xi Jinping thought on their, on their cell phones every day, monitor, monitoring it. Uh, if you work in a certain company that you know, and you don't do your Xi Jinping thought for, the, for that day, you can get disciplined the next morning when you come into work. And so this is a way of coercive, uh, not only mental, but also emotional and even spiritual control. And I understand from um, an article that was written, I think it was in the Washington Times, um, and a quote from, from, I believe it was Bob Fu, president of China Aid, that, that the issue that Xi Jinping has with the Ten Commandments is the first commandment, which is, um, I am the Lord God, thy God, you shall not worship any other, other God above me. They don't want people to be uh, worshiping God first, it's got to be the Chinese Communist Party is on top. Robert, thoughts? That type of control is like the control uh, that you see in George Orwell's classic novel, 1984. Uh, it's, it's uh, you know, uh, it, it has its um, reward elements, you could say, and it has its punishment elements. And... Uh, almost every every aspect of it is uh, is is visible to people. People are are aware of uh, the expectations. They're aware that they're being monitored. They're aware of the consequences of various actions. So it's a it's a visible system of control. Uh, what what I've been learning about uh, almost uh, accidentally stumbling onto onto one phenomenon after another. Uh, is that in much of the rest of the world, uh, another very dangerous kind of uh, system of control uh, has been uh, established that's not run by a government. Uh, it's run by a couple of private companies, uh, mainly one, which is Google. Uh, and it's every bit as dangerous as the system of control that we're now seeing in China. And interestingly enough, uh, Google uh, has shown a willingness to work with the Chinese government to improve uh, their system of control. Uh, so uh, we're talking about these very big, powerful entities, a big government, a big company, uh, having similar goals, namely to get humanity under control, uh, having slightly different methods, but similar goals. And we'll talk about the potential for manipulating the 2020 election mm -hmm. in a bit. But the point I think needs to be made, and you raised George Soros as an issue, is this is not a left versus right That's issue right. only. That's right. These are people in Google or President Xi mm -hmm. in China who believe themselves uh, beyond uh, and above humanity. And the Google people definitely think that. They're all products of the elite colleges, Stanford, and, and I think, the, uh, in fact, Google was, was, was set up by sort of a professorate of people who thought they were the cognitive elite and wanted to make this part of the vehicle through which they could, uh, they could be uh, in charge. Well, this, or, is, this is a problem. Uh, when, when you have yeah. a business that's run by business people, well, uh, their, their goals are pretty 
standard, which are to make money and, and, and do well by the shareholders. So one of the problems with Google is that it is indeed run by utopians. Um, and that's extremely dangerous. Or, or dystopians, some of us would say. Some would say, yes. But there's a, there's a whole book uh, written on, on that aspect um, of the big tech companies uh, that's, that's called, uh, that, that's written by Jonathan Taplin, who's a, who's a friend of mine, um, and it's called Move Fast and Break Things. And he actually focuses on these individuals, their backgrounds, uh, their values, and, uh, and concludes, uh, you know, with very few exceptions, that the people who lead these big tech companies, uh, they do think uh, they're superior. And they do think uh, that their vision for humanity is the right vision. Uh, and, you know, that's extremely dangerous. Uh, you know, giving people who think like that uh, the power to, to shift the thinking and behavior of billions of people. And we're talking about uh, within three years from now, they will have that ability uh, to, to influence, to control, manipulate more than four billion people around the world. That's within the next three years. Coming back to Reggie's point about George Soros, I found the quote. He said, I believe that, if, that the uh, social credit system Beijing is building, if allowed to expand, could sound the death knell of open societies, not only in China, but also throughout the globe. Right. And so, as you said, this is not a left-right issue. We're in this together. We need to join forces and oppose this. Well, Robert, when we talked before the show, we, we talked about Google's motives, and you came up with three. And one is profit, and they are suffering a little bit from a revenue standpoint. They have competitors. Uh, Amazon's done a lot more with cloud computing than they have, and Google uh, as seeing its second motive, which is social engineering, I think, get in the way a bit of its profit motive. And then the third uh, agenda they have is working with the intelligence agencies, uh, NSA, CIA, and doing things like helping them monitor uh, typing in things like who's building a bomb. And the, I think, Reggie, you sent me a piece on the nexus between government and these big companies. Yeah, I mean, I, I would like your, your view. Personally, I am uncomfortable with the extent to which the U.S. government is relying on Google and on the cloud uh, in, in some of our more, most sensitive information. Can Google break into there? If, if they are running this whole network, can they find out what our secrets are? And also, you mentioned that they are the ones that, that are keeping the register of all of our DNA. Um, could you please expand on that? Well, um, Googlers, they're called, people who work for Google, uh, you know, they, they, they love information, and of course they, they state openly our goal is to organize all the world's information, but what they don't say is they also want to collect all the world's information and use it for all kinds of purposes, most of which they don't discuss with us. Um, there are three big threats that they pose. The first is the surveillance threat, uh, because they're surveilling us, you know, 24 hours a day. Reggie, you mentioned you had an Android phone. Um, Android phones, <clears throat> the reason why, why Google uh, developed an, a mobile operating system like that was because uh, they wanted information about people who weren't necessarily online, who weren't necessarily, you know, using the Google browser, which is called Chrome, 
who weren't necessarily using the Google search engine. So they, uh, they created a, an operating system because the operating system on, on mobile phones, and they dominate that market, by the way, worldwide, the operating system on mobile phones, it tracks you whether you're online or not. And if you happen to be offline and there's, and there's no Wi-Fi around, it's still tracking you. And the moment you go back online, it uploads all the information it's collected, which could be enormous amount of information, it uploads it immediately to Google. So, you know, uh, they're tracking you in ways you can't even imagine. A few years ago, Google bought the smart thermostat company Nest. And we found out a few months ago that sometime after they bought it, they started putting microphones into smart thermostats, and now they're adding cameras into smart thermostats because they want to listen to everything that happens in your house. And Google has, in recent months, been issued patents for technology that analyzes sounds in the home so they can tell whether your kids are brushing their teeth enough, what, what your sex life is like, whether there's too much arguing going on. They're actually patenting technology to analyze signals coming in uh, through so, devices in so, people's homes. So, so years ago, I, you, know, you hear about cameras and surveillance. I always comforted myself, well, so, suppose there's a million cameras. They're not going to have a million people watching these cameras to, to monitor. But now we have artificial intelligence. Exactly. So they don't need a thousand, they don't need, they don't need one human being to, if they've got good algorithms to, to, to monitor facial recognition, voice patterns, whatever's. And that's what they're doing in China. See, this okay. is the thing. You know, you, you figure no one's actually watching those you know, cameras. Well, you know what? Artificial intelligence with facial recognition is watching it. And, and, the, and, and talk about, you know, they're saying, are you arguing too much? One of the things that they analyze with their artificial intelligence in China is, um, is this person displaying too much emotion on the, on the street? And, then, and, and in China, they will identify people um, through all their very diff various different mechanisms, all the different ways they have them under surveillance, to, and, and then arrest people and just take them away because they might not even have committed a crime, but they look like they're, you know, th these are thought police. They think it the wrong way. And what I'm saying is we don't do that in the United States yet, okay? Hopefully we never will, but the technology exists, and if it gets into the wrong hands, that, that it, could ha it could happen here. And I think that that's what George Soros is saying. I mean, it's a rare moment when I, <laughs> when I agree with George Soros, but I'm, I'm with him on this one, you know? Well, I mean, would you agree that, um, that, that the same thing that's happening in China, I, I understand that in the United States, they, we don't have yet have the artificial intelligence monitoring our surveillance cameras, but that could be fixed pretty quickly. And we do have uh, facial recognition in the United States. I know I've run into it at the airport. Well, how does Google track its data that it's getting now? I mean, we know that China's doing this using AI. Is Google doing the same thing? Do they have ability to say, okay, you know, this, this thing triggers that and we need to step in? Oh, yes, absolutely. Google and, and Facebook as well, they're using uh, artificial intelligence to, to analyze the massive amount of data that they're collecting. There's, there's no way they could not do that. Uh, and in fact, uh, we learned recently that even after Google uh, insisted that it wasn't going ahead with Project Dragonfly to, to re-enter the Chinese market and work with the Chinese in controlling the uh, Chinese population, uh, we learned after that that Google has continued to work with uh, people in China in developing uh, AIs. So, uh, yeah, Google is uh, extremely uh, interested in 
uh, in how to analyze massive amounts of data in, in a kind of automatic fashion so it doesn't, mm -hmm. it doesn't take up people time. That was the problem the Stasi had in East Germany is that, you know, uh, they, they needed people listening in on all those mics. They couldn't and monitor everything. You, you can't monitor everyone yeah. that way, but you can monitor everyone that way using uh, AI and other technology. And yes, the infrastructure for doing this uh, is rapidly uh, growing in the United States uh, and, and will soon probably be as every bit as sophisticated as the infrastructure in China. Uh, you're watching The Bill Walton Show. I'm here with Reggie Littlejohn and uh, Dr. Robert Epstein, Stein, rather. Um, we're talking about all the different ways that uh, we're potentially being manipulated and influenced by social media, in particular Google, and how similar it could become to what's going on in China. Uh, turning towards 2020, we said this isn't political, but everything in a sense is political. We've got a presidential election coming up. You've written and researched that Google might have swung as many th as 3 million votes towards Hillary Clinton during the 2016 election. Uh, 2020 is coming up, and it, it, you pointed out a, a, in the book Hidden Persuaders, which I'd alluded to or referred to earlier, there's a quote in here that says from Kenneth Boulding, who uh, was at Michigan at the time from 1957, a world of unseen dictatorship is conceivable still using the forms of democratic government. Well, yes, and by the way, that's an extraordinary book um, that's been in print for more than 50 years, um, written by a journalist, Vance, Vance Packard. And Packard was concerned back in the 1950s uh, that companies uh, and, to some extent, even politicians back then were starting to work with social scientists to figure out, in the case of companies, how to get people to buy more and more things, and especially to buy things they didn't need. And so Packard was very concerned about this because they were, they were using, they were developing methods that people couldn't see. So one of the first things uh, that he talks about, for example, is that people will buy more things in a supermarket, it turns out, if you play music, especially kind of slow music, in speakers overhead. It gets people to listen and they move a little slower and they end up buying a lot more. And of course, today, here it is, you know, 60, 70 years later, can you, can you even think of a store that you walk into that isn't playing slow music on speakers overhead? Um, and it's pretty, it's pretty common. But that, that came from social scientists working together, uh, you know, with corporate people. And what, what I have learned is that uh, the internet has made possible an entirely new class of, uh, of, of methods of influence that have never existed before in human history. I mean, there's always been music, right? That's, that's been around a long time. And so the methods, uh, in fact, that uh, Packard's talking about in his book, uh, you know, they, in some sense, they've always been around. But the internet has made possible entirely new methods for controlling billions of people uh, that people cannot see and that have an enormous impact on behavior. And an example thinking. of one of these methods would be uh, well, here's, here's one. Here, here's one, for example. For, we know positively that uh, on election day in 2016, 
if Mark Zuckerberg had sent out a go out and vote reminder just to Democrats, number one, no one would have known that he did that, that he was sending it just to Democrats. And number two, that would have given at least 450,000 more votes to Hillary Clinton than she got. Now, I don't think he sent that, but that's an example of a, of a method of influence that has never existed before, certainly not on, on that kind of scale. And in 2018, Google did this. So on Google's homepage, in, on, the, on the day of the 2018 election, uh, instead, of, instead of showing us the word Google in, in those pretty colors, they replaced that with the words go vote. And so that was on their homepage all day on election day. Um, but was that for everybody or only Democrats? Well, since we weren't monitoring that, and I can tell you more about monitoring systems uh, you know, as we go forward here, but since we don't know whether they show that to everyone or just to mainly to Democrats or people leaning left, but I did the calculations, which I'm sure that Google data analysts had, had done before they posted that, that reminder. And my calcul calculations showed without any doubt that that was not a public service. That was a vote manipulation. Hmm. That that prompt, because more Democrats, more people leaning left would have seen that prompt that day than Republicans, that prompt gave at least 800,000 more votes to Democrats than to Republicans. Now that's spread across hundreds of races because this was a midterm election, but still that was not a public service. That was a brilliant and, ex and an extraordinary uh, vote manipulation. So what if we wanted to do something about that for 2020? Is there a way to set up a monitoring system to monitor the monitors because they're they're watching us. Don't we get to watch them too? Well, I, I set up the first uh, ever <clears throat> uh, system uh, to monitor what uh, the tech companies are showing people back in 2016. Uh, it's, it, it produced its first trickle of data uh, as early as May of that year. Uh, as we got closer and closer to the November election, uh, we were picking up more and more data. Um, and this was a a system that allowed us to look over the shoulders of people as they were conducting election-related searches on Google, Bing, and Yahoo. So we had recruited in secret uh, 95 people in 24 states. We were able to preserve uh, 13,207 election-related searches on Google, Bing, and Yahoo, uh, and the more than 98,000 web pages to which the search results linked. And then we analyzed the data to see whether there was any bias in the search results that Google was showing people. We, we found substantial bias <laughs> favoring Hillary Clinton, whom I supported, uh, in all 10 search positions on the first page of Google search results, but that bias was absent on Bing and Yahoo. Hmm. Uh, then I simply did some calculations at the time, and uh, because of my experimental research, I know uh, pretty much uh, how many uh, votes that's going to shift over time, and calculated that that gave to Hillary Clinton somewhere between 2.6 and 10.4 million votes, with no one knowing that they were even being influenced. 2018, I set up a, a bigger, uh, more ambitious monitoring system. Um, again, found a 
strong uh, liberal bias on Google search results, but not Bing or Yahoo. That bias was sufficient to have given upwards of 78.2 million votes uh, to Democrats. But again, that's spread over hundreds of elections because that was a midterm election. 2020, I want to build a much, much, much bigger and more comprehensive monitoring system, not just looking at search results, but looking at news feeds, looking mm -hmm, at mm -hmm. email suppression, uh, looking at de-ranking in Google search results, uh, looking at what's called shadow banning on Twitter. Uh, the time has come. I mean, I've, 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 I've run these projects. Uh, you know, you, you could call them proof of concept projects. Mm -hmm. In 2020, I'm pretty sure uh, that these tech companies are going to go all out. They, they, they will take no chances. They do not want President Trump reelected. And they're going to use every possible means at their disposal uh, to, to shift votes. And I'm telling you that if, if, there, if we have no monitoring system uh, to, to detect what they're doing and, and, and report what they're doing, we'll never know. We well, will never know, you know it, it what happened. It occurs to me that 2020 is the general election, but there's a hotly contested Democrat Democratic primary going on, and you've got, I don't know how many people still in. Wouldn't you want to know if you're a Democrat, what was happening to, to guide people towards your favorite or unfavorite candidate? Uh, that's an excellent question. And, um, uh, you know, when I first was thinking about building this big system for 2020, unfortunately, I didn't think about the primaries. Uh, now, suddenly, I am thinking about the primaries, and I realize uh, that I, I'd like to set the system up early enough so that we could look at the primaries When's the, when's the well. first primary? It's pretty soon, actually. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, I mean, I think it would be very interesting to everybody, including Democrats, if there is a favorite at Google. That's right. And if, if, if Google is, is shuttling people towards wh whoever their chosen person is um, by their various means. Yeah. Exactly. And, and see, this is, I, I just, I can't emphasize how, how important this point is, okay? If we have no monitoring systems in place, it means we will never understand how votes are being shifted on a very massive scale, by the way. If no monitoring system means no knowledge, and you can't go back in time and reconstruct what it was they did. Right. But so, so I understand you know, wanting to understand it, wanting to reconstruct it. What we want to do is stop it, right? So how is your monitoring system going to help legislators or maybe even just um, journalists and the, and the general public actually stop this so that people will see what's going on and something can do to, to, to stop it. So we can well, have a fair election. Well, we're developing a technology now, in fact, using AI that will allow us to analyze the massive amounts of data that we're bringing in in real time. Now, with that ability, we will be able to detect certain kinds of manipulations. For example, if uh, Zuckerberg sends out a go vote reminder just to Democrats, uh, we would detect that within hours. Uh, if, if and how would, you how would that be detected? Well, because we, we will have field agents around the country, at least a thousand, uh, and with their permission, we will, using special software, we'll be looking over their shoulders as they're, they're using their computers and you know, doing election-related things. We will have that information streaming to us 24-7, uh, and we're going to analyze the data as the data are coming in. And when we find 
bias, manipulation, shenanigans, we will report it immediately. We'll report it to the media, the Federal Election Commission, other authorities that might be relevant. And, you know, one of two things is going to happen here. So this is, this is the answer to your question, Reggie. Either, number one, these companies just back off and they stop doing these things, which is what I hope will happen. And by the way, we'll detect that. We'll know if they've backed off. Or they continue, or they continue to, to show people biased search results, biased news feeds, biased search suggestions, my, my guess is they would continue because they, they don't think anybody's smarter than they but are. But I wonder if there's some kind of a law, and this is something that somebody would need to research against election tampering like, like that, you know, and that, and that they could be hit with some kind of a, a lawsuit or even contest the election if they're doing something like that. There isn't, but there is something else. Okay. And that is there, there, there's campaign finance law. And that's, that is relevant here because if you are doing something on a large scale uh, to support one candidate, well, uh, and if someone else who, who might want to use your services would have to pay for it, then there's a dollar value associated with so what it's an you're in kind, doing. So it's an in-kind contribution of services as opposed to cash. Well, it turns out these, these could be considered massive in-kind contributions to uh, political campaigns that are not being declared, and that's illegal. So that's the key to, to, to really uh, going after these companies in 2020 uh, if we catch them doing things that they shouldn't be doing. That is the key, because there could be prosecutions here, uh, and a lot of public embarrassment uh, is possible as well. Well, the, the 2016 was biased towards Hillary against Bernie. Mm -hmm. That's, That's right. right. And so there, there's got to be that same bias somewhere inside the Democrat primary. I, 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 Bill, I, you, know, you, you keep hitting that point, and I feel so embarrassed, really, that I didn't think of this many months ago. Uh, at this point in time, I don't yet have the funding in place to move forward because we wouldn't need to move and this, forward. But this has got to cost millions of dollars to get all this set up. Well, a full system, of, you know, on the scale we're talking about, we're talking about over $50 million. Of course, in the, in, the, in the primaries, though, you've got just New Hampshire and Iowa, so you could probably focus in those states and at a much lower scale, much less scale. Well, the problem here is timetable. But yeah. the point is, if we have enough money coming in early enough, uh, we should be able to monitor at least some of those primaries. And I agree with you. If we're able to monitor the primaries, that means the, the ears of the Democrats should perk up. And it means maybe uh, you know, we can get bipartisan support for setting up uh, you know, these monitoring systems. But I, I do wish I had thought of this months ago, for sure. Well, and then another thing is, if, if there's obvious bias, then you can kick in that law of in-kind contributions. And if there starts to be prosecutions in, in the primary election, that's a, a warning. Don't try this for the general election because there will be legal consequences. Well, to me, there's, there's, there is no possible harm. We can only win, in fact, by setting up large-scale monitoring systems because, again, it'll either get these companies to back off, in which case we win as a society. That's the free right. and fair election wins because mm -hmm. it's been protected. Or they don't back off, in which case we have a massive amount of data, massive, that can be used uh, to prosecute these companies and, in some cases, probably shut them down. Under the campaign finance laws. 
Well, uh, there could be other yeah, issues whatever, involved. Whatever, but that's, as a, well, that's but a promising sure. uh, line of action. Uh, so I, I, got, I, I can't turn the show into an infomercial. But we, <laughs> but, but, oh, go ahead, go ahead. But, <laughs> and also, government agencies, there's the SEC out there. We've got to be careful about making offerings. But there is, but there is something that, um, that uh, ought to be explored. There's a line of action here. We don't have to be just passive about it. Speaking of lines of action, let's go from the sublime problems, the big ones, to the, to the simple ones, the personal ones. You've written something called Seven Simple Steps Toward Online Privacy. Yes. What are, what are a couple of those simple steps? In first place, Reggie's got to get rid of her Android phone. Yeah, so you, what you, you suggest, what, a BlackBerry? <laughs> well, uh, BlackBerry still exists. It's a relatively small company. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's all I use. It's here somewhere. And um, my phone is extremely secure compared to the phones most people use. There are other options out there as well. iPhone is certainly going to be much more secure than any Android phone. So iPhone is an Apple product. Uh, and the, 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 pre the head of the CEO of Apple, uh, Tim Cook, has actually said publicly that he thinks that the business model that Google invented, which is called the surveillance business model, uh, he thinks that that's not a legitimate model for doing business. He thinks it should be illegal, and I agree completely. And uh, at the moment, anyway, Apple doesn't use that model. They sell real products to us, you know, and we pay money, cash money, and we get the products. For companies like Google and Facebook, they don't have any products. We're the product. We're the product. We yeah. are the they're product. So they're selling our preferences. They're our, our buying. Well, and all these tools that we use that they provide for us for free, and they're not yeah. really for free, by the way, because we pay for them with our freedom. Right. Uh, but these tools that they use are actually surveillance tools. They're all surveillance tools, every single one of them. You're watching the Bill Walton Show, and we're getting into online privacy and surveillance tools and what you can do about it. And we're talking with Dr. Robert Epstein and Reggie Littlejohn, and uh, uh, continue. Well, sure. Um, I, I, I did set up a pretty simple link. It's my7simplesteps.com. So if people go to my7simplesteps.com, they'll get to an article I wrote which, is, which explains how you can protect yourself and your family uh, from the surveillance. Uh, I personally have not received a targeted ad since 2014. So I obviously must be doing something a little different than everyone else does. And it's true, I use the internet and I use these tools a little differently. And it's not that hard to to take some of these steps. And where can we find seven simple steps towards online privacy? That's, is that on your website, mygoogleresearch.com, or that's on your mygoogleresearch.com, something else? Well, I set up a link that's just for this article because so many people are interested in it. So the, that link is just my7simplesteps.com. That'll take you right to this article. I mean, a couple of other steps are to get an encrypted email like ProtonMail, I, I, I set up a Proton Mail account because my friend Robert would that's, not communicate that, with that's me. His, that's his first step. Yeah, he would not <laughs> communicate with me on Gmail. I was like, I'm not. <laughs> so now I have Proton Mail. Um, let's see, another one is to not use Google, but to use Start Page. So I have done some things, okay? All right, those are the two things I did do. Maybe so Start Page, phone, Proton Mail, and by the way, we have no stake in these companies. We're right, simply right. helping helping everyone be, be more uh, 
keep their privacy. And you would use Brave as a browser. As but, oh, I love Brave. Brave is a, is a fairly new browser. Uh, it suppresses all ads. Mm. It runs faster than Chrome, mainly because it suppresses all ads. Uh, and it, and it, it, does, it does a lot of very clever technical things to protect your privacy. So that's at brave.com. That's a very simple change to shift from using Chrome over to using Brave. And again, with that said, brave.com. So there are things you can do. And, and uh, you know, you're still using the Internet. You're still getting all your information. But uh, it means that, that these companies, Google in particular, uh, are no longer able to track you. Well, and I think, yeah, I love your fifth point, heave home, which I think oh, you're yeah, talking yeah. about the listening devices. If we, when you're talking to Alexa, yeah, I don't talk to Alexa. I was smart enough to not ever. Yeah, I don't do Alexa. I don't do Siri. I don't do any of that stuff. Um, well, but, someone yeah. gave a, my eldest son uh, Alexa as a as a birthday present, and I I, I gave him a speech about um, Alexa and Google Home and even Siri, unfortunately. Uh, and you know what? He he threw his Alexa device into the garbage pail right in front of me, and I thought, wow, that's. That's pretty cool because I, I, I <laughs> never listened to me. I mean, most kids would not do that on their father's advice, right? Teenagers. No. Well, also, I'm I'm not a very controlling parent, and 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 it's not like I was, you know. I'm just saying he really he just got the message, and 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 that's the message I'm trying so hard to convey to people. Uh, you know, the surveillance is out of control, and you just you you have no idea how extensive it is. Okay. I just want to say, what, yeah. Could you please talk to us about the DNA database that, oh. that Google? I mean, we're talking about you know uh, surveillance being out of control, and then you just told me during the break that that Google has a, a, a database of all of our, our DNA. Well, uh, my wife, with very good intentions, uh, sent in her ninety nine dollars or whatever it was to twenty three and Me because mm -hmm. she wanted to get you know get her whole uh, background. Uh, you know, based on submitting her saliva and having her DNA analyzed. And so I gave my wife the speech because Google is a major investor in 23andMe. It was actually uh, founded or co-founded by the wives of one of Google's founders. Uh, and Google has been investing in, uh, in, in a number of, um, uh, of, of DNA repositories uh, and uh, at, at some point was even running the national uh, DNA repository. Why? Because they're adding DNA information to our profiles. So, but what is the point of that? Well, if you have DNA information, it means you can predict what diseases your people are going to get, which means you can start marketing products to them even before they get sick. Uh, there are lots of benefits. You also happen to know uh, which husbands have been cuckolded. I mean, uh, I don't know how you monetize that, but the point is <laughs> you, you, you have that information. Uh, you know, the, the point is, to a company like Google, all information has value. And so you collect data now, and then later, in, you know, some point in the future, you can figure out how to monetize it or how to use it, you know, for your various well, purposes. I can tell you how the Chinese government monetizes DNA information, but it's pretty grisly. I don't know. Tell us. Well, and I'm, not, I'm not saying Google. I'm already ever... feeling like we've got enough grisly stuff out here. Let's add to the pile. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I want to completely separate this. I am not saying that this has anything to do with the United States. This has anything to do with Google. But I will say that in, in, that in the Xinjiang province of China, they have detained over like a million Uyghur citizens 
And what they do, one of the those first... Are, those are the Muslims? Yes, the Uyghur okay. Muslim yeah. believers. Okay, so, and what they do is, one of the first things they do is they take their blood. And so we don't have any direct evidence of this, but what we do know is that there's something called organ tourism in, in China, where you can just say, oh, I need a kidney. You can set a date where you're going to go to China and they will promise you a kidney. How do they get that kidney other than... They already have this database of DNA, and they know that, and they know that they can match it, you know, on on the date of your preference. So, like in the United States, if you need a kidney or a liver or a heart or something like that, you have to wait years. So they're organizing, organ, harvesting organs from living people. Yeah. But but more importantly, they're they're they they can say in advance who's going to be a match, and they do that based on DNA data. So the point is, DNA data have value. Now, as I say, Google very often collects information sometimes for years, before they figure out how to use the information. So you, you, the, the idea is collect it all. That's, that's the general thinking at the company. Collect everything. And then over time, we'll figure out how to use it. Now, one of the most dangerous ways in which the company uses information is they build digital models of us. So if you're an adult in the United States, there's a pretty good chance, if you've been online for for a while, at least you know, 10 years or so, or 10, 15 years, Google has the equivalent of about 3 million pages of information about you. And you remember uh, Cambridge Analytica claimed to have 5,000 data points mm -hmm. on every American voter that they, th that they purchased, by the way. It was all purchased from other companies. Well, think about what Google has by comparison the equivalent of 3 million pages of information about you, and for many of us, they also have our DNA data. Now, are they using all of that every single day for various, not necessarily, but the main use is digital modeling, creating a model of you that they can use to predict everything you wanna do, predict your wants, your, your, your needs, predict where you're gonna go, because that information allows them, the better they, they can predict what you want, that allows them to, to sell you things and also to manipulate you. The more you know about someone, the easier it is to manipulate that person. Life after Google. Mm -hmm. our, our friend George Gilder wrote a book about the fall of big data and the rise of the blockchain economy. And he thought that Google would be eclipsed by the blockchain technology and that the you know the thing we're not aware we don't think about much is the existing internet is a huge energy consumer and that there's lots of lots of uh, what, what are the terms for the uh, the big power plants that drive it anyway there's a there's a term um, well google just calls them data centers but they're yeah that was it data yeah, center that's right. <laughs> okay technical term you don't you don't think there is life after Google at least the way this is uh, this is uh, described. Well, 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 uh, Google is continuing to grow at a fantastic rate, and by the way, so are their revenues. So they're, they'll this year probably surpass 130 billion dollars. They have more than 100 billion dollars in the bank. When they get hit with fines, which they have by the EU repeatedly, uh, they just brush them off. Eight, eight billion in fines is a drop in the bucket. It's nothing to them. So yeah. On the other hand, they are facing mm. right now an onslaught of investigations. Uh, literally just, just, uh, just days ago, uh, the House Judiciary Committee 
uh, requested from Google and three of the other big tech companies tens of thousands of pages of documents, including email communications among their top, top executives. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, 50 attorneys general, 50 of them in the United States, uh, and that, that's 48 states and two territories, uh, began an, an antitrust action against Google. And that's very significant because, uh, you know, no matter what happens in Washington, no matter what administration is in place, whether they're pro-Google, anti-Google, doesn't matter. The AGs, they just keep going. They just keep going. So that's, that's, that's a huge threat uh, to Google. Uh, it was just announced in the EU uh, that, that Vestager, who's, who is the woman who has been behind the antitrust investigations of Google in Europe, uh, which have resulted right now in, I think they're approaching $10 billion in fines, She's been reappointed. She was supposed to retire. She's been reappointed and given more powers, mm. more power than she ever had before. So there's an onslaught of investigations against Google. We're talking about Congress, the attorneys general around the country, uh, the European Union. Uh, you know, they're, they know that they're in trouble because they have gone through two corporate reorganizations in the last few years. And I've asked uh, top lawyers here and in Europe, what these reorganizations are all about. What these reorganizations are doing is they're protecting the major shareholders from any disaster that might befall uh, the Google search engine. They're protecting the stock of the major shareholders. So they understand uh, that, you know, things could change for them at some point. Even though it's public, it's still controlled by the founding shareholders. That's correct. There's two classes of yeah. stock. Uh, Facebook, the situation's even worse because there are two classes of stock, and uh, Mark Zuckerberg uh, uh, controls 60% of the voting shares. In other words, he's, he's an emperor uh, at Facebook. No one, no one can challenge him. But you think it's going to be legal government regulation, something, something that's, that's imposed from the outside rather than just competitive dynamics, technological change, the rise of a new competitor, somebody in a garage inventing something that's better? Well, you know, I, I happen to admire George Gilder, and I read Oh, that. yeah, he's a, I, he's, a, he's a genius. Yeah, and I read his book, Life After Google, but uh, I'm happy to advertise it and tell people to go and get it. But, yeah, I'm recommending uh, everybody buy the book just yeah. to get another uh, counterpoint to but this. I, I, but I'm pretty sure he's completely wrong. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, not, not, not partially wrong, but completely wrong. This, he, uh, from my perspective, he doesn't really he doesn't understand how 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 glued glued people are to all of these free services, and you can't actually break up uh, the Facebook uh, you know uh, you know social Twitter. network. Yeah. You, you can't break that up because that would be like building the Berlin Wall, right? And you'd be breaking up families, and you can't break up Google search engine also uh, because. It wouldn't work very well. It works well because the index is so large, you know, it's drawing on so much information, so it can almost always give you a fantastic answer. And people are, are attached to these so-called free services. And it's, there's, there's no, I mean, people have been trying to set up, you know, competitors for these companies uh, for a long, long time. No one has made any progress whatsoever. These are entrenched in our lives. Uh, and it's going to take some very radical action on the part of governments 
in my opinion, to, to make any difference. And frankly, I don't even think governments are going to be, be able to help us that much. I believe the only real way we can protect ourselves from these companies and the companies that come on, you know, that, 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 that succeed them, the companies that, that are established in the future that perhaps threaten us, is with more and more sophisticated modern, monitoring systems because law and regulation move very slowly. Technology moves at, at light speed. But monitoring systems, those are technology systems, and they can move fast. They can move as fast as these companies move. Monitoring systems need to be established, in my opinion, around the world uh, so that we can keep an eye on what tech companies are doing uh, to us, what they're showing us, what they're telling us on our personal assistance. We are going to be surrounded uh, literally within a year or two by uh, the Internet of Things, tens of billions of devices all around us connected to the Internet and providing information to big tech companies. Well, I've already told people to get rid of my thermometers and <laughs> the, 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 the thermostats, yeah. Um, well, how does China do this? I mean, I mean, they are not, who monitor, I mean, they are not, China's monitoring its population. You're talking about monitoring the monitors. Correct. And who would, who would do that? In China, I, I doubt anyone no, does. No, China's not, not doing it. I, I, it was, I was just sort of thinking about the hierarchy of who monitors who. If we did it here, who, would we set up a, an NGO, some sort of non-governmental group? Would it be a... He's got a nonprofit that is set up to monitor uh, the elections, et cetera, right? This is, this is true, but I, I, think, I think we actually need multiple organizations. Yeah. And they need to exist you know, around the world, and they kind of need to be coordinated. Uh, you know, this, this task is too big for just me and, and too big for, for you know, for just uh, my nonprofit. Uh, you know, this is a huge task. These, these, these are very, very smart, aggressive people who run these companies. And again, we only learned recently about Google putting microphones into the Nest um, smart thermostat. Wait, wait, I just want to stop that sure, for, sure. on that, okay? That's horrifying. I'm sorry. Okay, <laughs> who doesn't have a thermostat in their bedroom? So it's got, if, if you have a new one, then it could have, if it's called, what, Nest? Nest. Nest. And, Nest. And, and, so it's got a microphone and a camera. The newest ones there have cameras, yeah. So what is their excuse for putting this in, number one? And number two, how do they get around invasion of privacy concerns? Well, they've been quite open about uh, marketing the, uh, the home the Google Home personal assistant. Uh, I, 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 my, best, my bet is they pitch it as we've got a monitoring device, so if there's some sound in the room, a baby crying, something like that, we can help with your security. Well, that, that's one of their newest patents, actually, yeah. is, is uh, we can figure out whether your, your infant is in distress. Yeah. And not just based on sound, but because we're looking at the infant, you know, we can see so whether the, the movements it, are abnormal. It's benign sounding, but it's pernicious. Yeah. Uh, well, there's always there's always the cover story, which sounds wonderful, but then there's the you know the, then there's the surveillance the story, so, then there's know. the real story. But but they've been really selling the Google Home device, which is of course a, a surveillance device. They've been marketing it, uh, saying you need this in every room in your house, and they name the rooms, and they show you in their advertising pictures of the Google Home device 
in every single room in someone's house. So they're not, to some extent, they're not hiding what they're doing. They're, they're telling you, you know, uh, we want to be everywhere you are. Well, we've, we've really dug into a lot of interesting topics here. Dr. Robert Epstein, thank you. Reggie Littlejohn, thank you. Um, this is uh, much, much more that ought to be done with this. And, doc, and, and good doctor, you can be, your, your work is at mygoogleresearch.com. Well, that's a link people can go to if they want to support my work yeah. or, or learn more about it. Yes, mygoogleresearch.com. And Reggie, you're at uh, womensrightswithoutfrontiers.org. I'm, I'm at womensrightswithoutfrontiers.org unless Google takes me down as a result of participating with you guys in this conversation. Well, I think you have. I mean, we're, we're talking about this openly. We will just, we'll just uh, go right back after Google, right? Okay. <laughs> So uh, what would we, we do when we contribute to Women's Rights Without Frontiers? What oh, does that thank you to? for asking. So um, as you know, we are also, we save baby girls from sex selective abortion and abandoned widows in China. If you want to help support that, you can just yeah. go to womensrightswithoutfrontiers.org and there's red buttons on the right side of the homepage that's, you know, save a girl, save a widow. Click there, you can get more information. Great. Robert? Reggie, thank you. Uh, you've been watching The Bill Walton Show, listening to The Bill Walton Show. Please join me for upcoming shows. Our next up is Robert Atkinson, who will be talking about trade and technology issues with China. I'm sure based on this conversation, that's likely to be quite lively. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening. Want more? Be sure to subscribe at thebillwaltonshow.com or on iTunes. Amazon is hiring near you. Earn a competitive wage and start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites, and Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Go to amazon.com apply. That's amazon.com apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer.